We are so honored that you would take the time out of your week to listen to this week's message. We pray that you find it helpful and life-giving. If you would like more information on Hope Church, you can check us out at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening. You might be seated this morning. Can we just can we just let the worship team know how much we appreciate their leadership? What in the world? What what a huge blessing it is to have these uh, ladies and gentlemen serve every single week, week in and week out. I'm so honored that they would be here. Um, if you haven't met me yet, my name is Emma Adams. I'm the lead pastor of Hope Church here in Seaford, man. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, we are, think, I think we're in our 18th or 19th week. I've lost track. There's been so many weeks. Um, and uh, I'm so excited to be here at the high school. Um, we are in our series called A Better Way. Have you ever thought to yourself, man, there's got to be a better way? Whatever the task is, you're like, man, there's got to be a better way to do this because I'm about to lose my marbles on this task. Yes? Anybody been there and felt that way? Um, I've said that parenting, I think, more than in any other circumstances. Maybe for you, it's at school. Maybe you're a student at school and you're like, man, there's got to be a better way than reading this book. It's called Speechify. That's an unpaid episode. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Read your textbook. (laughs) Have you thought, man, there's got to be a better way? Well, this series has been all about finding a better way forward as a family. And we've looked at the life of Christ and saw that he lived in such a way that was so different than the world we live in now. Last week, we talked about the fact that we are living our lives, the way we're living our lives might actually be hindering us from the life we want to lead, right? We talked about uh, the way we, we are living now actually might be part of the problem. And so we got to look at ways to live differently. And we learned a prayer. Does, did anybody pray this for seven days? Did anybody take an opportunity? Please tell me you tried at least. Thank you people for trying. The prayer is, God help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. God help me walk slowly enough. So this week, um, in practicing this practice of trying to slow down and become aware of where I'm at and to live in the moment and to be fully alive, to slow down and not be rushed, I actually made it an effort to drive the speed limit. I know, I know, I'm supposed to do this anyway, but truth is, I like going fast. So... There's this amazing feature on my car called cruise control. So this week I put it on cruise control. And can I tell you, it was actually kind of freeing. I didn't have to think about it. I put it at the speed limit. I drove the speed limit. And I didn't care that people were mad at my minivan. Because just in case you didn't know, if you drive a station wagon or a minivan, which I've had to drive both in my life, people hate you. It's like an automatic aggression, have to pass you, they're mean to you, just so you know. Okay, it happens. Women know who have to drive these vehicles because we get treated like garbage on the highways. But for this week, I didn't care. And it was so much better. And there was an intentionality in just that one practice of reducing my speed of saying, hey, I'm just going to drive the speed limit. It made me aware of where I was in the moment. It let me really think about 
how I was going to receive my kids when I picked them up from school, how I was going to act when I got where I was going. It allowed me to think about how I was currently feeling and what I was doing in the moment. And it was pretty powerful. And the prayer, God help me walk slow enough so that I can experience Jesus fully, has been powerful because I've had to slow down. I've had to send out my sonar ping for the Lord and be like, okay, where are you, Jesus, in this moment? And it's made me slow down and think about how I'm loving those I'm around more deeply. It's made me think about when, when people are late for meetings or when people uh, don't show up when I think they should, how I should respond to them. I don't know about you, but for me, these past seven days have been extraordinarily helpful for my peace of mind and the way I treat those around me. We realized last week that if we follow a non-rushed Jesus, we're going to live non-rushed lives. And that's going to make a difference. We talked about loving people deeply and listening intently and spending our time intentionally. And this week, we're going to learn a better way of being. Of being. One of my favorite authors, uh, a man named Brennan Manning, has written some amazing books. One's called The Ragamuffin Gospel. I recommend highly that you read it. Brennan Manning is uh, probably a little bit of a, a father of modern monasticism. He's a pretty cool guy. But he shares a story. He's pretty, uh, pretty uh, out there sometimes. And I don't mean in a bad way. I mean in a, oh, wow, I never thought about it that way. Kind of out there, right? He's like a little uh, hippie Jesus follower. And he doesn't talk to people the way they think that he should talk to people. So he tells a story in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, about encountering a married woman who lived in Atlanta, and she had two small children. And she comes to Brennan, and she says, hey, look, man, I, I'm just, I'm shredded inside. I, I'm just, I just know that God is so disappointed in me. I know that he's so disappointed in me because I, I'm not doing anything for him. I really feel like on my heart, like I should be like at the soup kitchen, and I should be like busting it and like feeding people. I feel called to this soup ministry, but I, I just, I can't leave my kids in someone else's care. I'm just, I'm just struggling so hard with this. And Brennan turns to her and he says, the call is not from God, but it's from your ingrained legalism. Being a good mother wasn't enough for her in her mind. And neither was it good enough for God. How many times do we discredit being because we feel like we should be doing? How many times do, do you in your life discredit, well, I'm being here. I'm being a dad. I'm being a student. I'm being mom. I'm being daughter. I'm being friend. But I should be doing Am I the only one that's guilty of this? Because I know I can't be alone. How many times have you thought I should be doing more? And I mean, look at, look at Jesus. We consider Jesus and, and we consider what people are doing and count it um, as mattering most 
right? We look at Jesus and we're like, that's, that's what we should be doing. And, and actually, Jesus was, after all, out doing ministry, healing the sick. He was doing ministry, preaching the good news. He was doing the work of feeding the hungry. He was doing the work of giving water to the thirsty. He was doing the work of visiting people. He was doing debates with Pharisees. I mean, that's a good time had by all, right? Telling them how they're wrong. Telling them, you brood of vipers. Like, chill out. Sit down. Be quiet. I'm here. Like, I love that, man. I want to be doing that. I want to be arguing with people. I love apologetics. Let's go. Let's throw down with some atheists. Let's do this thing, right? And Jesus is doing the ministry of visiting the poor and the needy. He's doing right. And we get so caught up with the campaign called, this is what we came up with. Y'all remember this? Y'all going to laugh at these Christian people who've been here for a hot minute, right? Do you remember back in the day we came up with this campaign called WWJD, right? Everybody got the bracelets, right? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And so the whole premise of the campaign that we came up with was to remind ourselves, what would Jesus do? John Mark Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, poses a better question. The better question is, what would Jesus do if he were me? Because let's be honest, Jesus wasn't female. And Jesus wasn't our age or in our station of life. Jesus didn't work in retail or at a hospital. He, he didn't have the career we have. and he, he doesn't have the friends that we have and he doesn't live in 2022. So the, the better question we probably need to ask is what would Jesus do if he were me? If he were my gender, if he had my employment, if he was in my relationship, in my friend group, and I hope to help us find ways to answer this question together today. What would Jesus do if he were me? The truth is this morning that we're going to take a look at the life of Jesus and we're going to see the truth that living Jesus' better way isn't always easy. We're going to dive into a story and into the life of Jesus and the disciples as they journey through the Judean countryside, ministering to people, healing people, preaching the good news, all as they, they lead their way to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus had just wrapped up teaching after sending out 72, 72 people. He found 72 people that he was like, y'all ready to go. Let's go. I'm sending you out two by two. I want you to go out and preach the good news, heal the sick, all of the stuff, cast out demons in my name. Let's go. So he sends them out. He takes the rest of his crew, and they're traveling through Galilee and journeying towards Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. Interesting. Interesting. He speaks in Jerusalem, and then and then he does something kind of remarkable. You see, he's all the time marching toward Jerusalem and toward the end of his ministry. Yet, he comes to Bethany and to the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, his friends. And Martha comes to him and she says, hey, Jesus, come stay with us. Come to my house. Come in. Come in. And we pick up the story in Luke chapter 10, 38 through 42. It reads, As Jesus and disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. I want us to notice things as we read this passage and move all along. I want you to first notice 
that Jesus is often interrupted. You ever notice how Jesus is walking along and uh, somebody's like, hey, Jesus, I can't see. Help me out. And he's like, yeah, all right, man, no problem. I'm coming over. Or, hey, Jesus, if I could just touch the hem of your garment. He stops everything. Interrupted. Jesus is always being interrupted. And his response is always a gracious moment for those who interrupt him. Ouch. How many times have you been interrupted and have responded in a, what? <laughs> Please don't act like I'm the only one. Y'all holy up in here. Somebody else need to come up here and preach then because I'm telling you right now, there are times when my three-year-old has mommied me for the 1,000th time. Mommy, mom, mommy, mom, 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 mommy, look at me. Last night, I'm literally sitting on the couch trying to watch a movie, and she is right here. Mommy, mommy, poke, poke, touch, with a block, hitting my head, boop, boop, boop. What? What? You're interrupting me, but we see Jesus is on the way to the cross, on the way to the most important work that he would do in his life, the, the death and the resurrection that would bring you and I freedom and healing and eternity with God. But he takes this opportunity to be with Mary and Martha. You see, God lives with such rooted in the moment and rooted and connected to God. The interruptions don't throw him off. He is steadfast and immovable, always abounding in every good work. And so he takes this opportunity to be with Mary and Martha and the disciples in their home. And this is a hard road. I want you to note that Jesus doesn't turn her down, no matter how important the upcoming event was. No matter how important the work is that's coming, Jesus took time. He loves He's unrushed. What happens to us? Is our work so important as the cross? I'd wager that's far less important. And yet we burst with impatience. Notice that it's Martha who opened her home to Jesus and the disciples. It was Martha who invited them in for the meal. It was Martha who said, come on in. And she would be the first to welcome Jesus and to recognize him as Lord, invite him into her personal space. And yet we see in this next, this next space what happens. It says in verse 39 that she had a sister called Mary. I have a sister called Marianna. She's older. Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So we had Martha who invited Jesus in and then instantly gets distracted because she's worried about what are they going to eat? What are they going to drink? Where are they going to sit? Are you comfortable? Did you have enough snacks? You want some peanuts? How about some olives? I got these olives. You like olives? I'm going to get you some olives. Can you see her all over the place in the kitchen like, yo, 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 you know what? I got, I got this cheese from Samuel down the street's goat. Let me go grab that. I'm going to hook that up with some unleavened bread and some crackers. Hold up, I got this wine that I've been storing up just in case you drive by, Jesus. Let me go get that real quick. And she is busting her tail. And in contrast, Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet listening to everything he is saying. And in fact, I want to take a moment here to point out that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And 
we can gloss over this a lot of times, but I need you to recognize that in this culture and in Jesus' time, women were third-class citizens. Women were actually treated much like a belonging. If you were a woman, you belonged to someone. You either belonged to your father or you belonged to your husband. You were just a belonging. You were often an accessory. And women were never, ever allowed to learn. Most women weren't allowed to, to read. They certainly weren't allowed to, to, to learn Hebrew. They, they weren't allowed to learn the Torah. They weren't allowed to spend time in the synagogue with their husbands or with their fathers. They weren't allowed in those spaces. And so here we have uh, Jesus sitting and, and Mary is right next to him with all the other disciples Dudes, guys, and Mary is there. And this is what um, a great guy named uh, Takatem Jen says in the South Asian Bible Commentary. Yes, I, I listen to the South Asian Bible Commentary because I enjoy it. It's an amazing perspective. I also have, uh, never mind, that's a thought. I have so many different commentaries, guys, that I pull from because so many people um, have such great perspectives that are not my race or my gender or, or have my, my cultural upbringing or my ethnics. And so I want to know, when they read the Bible, what do they see? And he had such a great, a great insight. He said, in Jesus' day, women were not taught much about the law, and so such teaching sessions would have looked very shopping, shocking. Like, what are you doing? right? But the liberation that Jesus proclaimed included the poor, such as Mary and Martha, who were released from ignorance and given a new status, making them equals with Jesus's other's disciples. Equals. Mary is sitting there at the feet and Jesus is saying, she can sit here. And she can learn of me, and I'm going to teach her just like I'm teaching all you dudes up in here. Say something. <laughs> and he taught her, and he carried her. And he was the champion, the first champion of women being so much more than something bought and sold of women having the capacity to learn the law and teach the law and be in the law. Jesus is the original women's liberator. And I'm so grateful. And so we have Mary doing the impossible, sitting down at the feet of Jesus to everybody's shock and all. But here in verse 40, we have Martha's reaction. Martha, who invited Jesus in. Martha, who was the first to say, yes, come on in, come to my house. Martha, who had zeal and passion to be with Jesus, is all of a sudden, what? What does it say? But Martha was distracted. Distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And so she comes to Jesus and she's frustrated and flustered and she says to him, Lord, don't you care that my sisters had left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And I'm sure she's got side eyes for Mary the whole time. Jesus. My sister has left me to do all the work. Tell her to help me. Y'all, Martha is busy cooking and working to make sure that all the guests are comfortable, 
and everybody has what they need. And she's rushing around and she's worried and upset, it says, about all these physical things. And listen, Martha's work is not wrong. Okay, what she's doing isn't wrong. She's doing the right things. She's serving Jesus. She's loving the disciples. I'm sure she's washing feet and getting wine and getting olives and all of the good things that she's making sure the disciples have food so they can listen intently to Jesus and what he's saying. She's doing the right things. So what's wrong with this? What's wrong with this? The thing that was distracting and that was getting Martha off course was that she was more consumed about what Mary was doing than what she was doing. What's she doing? Well, I see her over here learning at the feet of Jesus. Why does she get to do that? Why am I the one having to do all the work? What's she doing? What's she doing? How many times have you gotten distracted off of doing what God has asked you to do because you're worried about what somebody else is doing? Well, they get to sing. Well, they get to play guitar. Well, I want to do that. I want to do this. I don't understand. Why does she get to do that? Why can't I be Stephen Furtick? Right? Why can't I sing like Hartley? Why can't I play like Kyron? Why can't I bang on the drums like Grant? Why can't I? What's wrong with this? Can I tell you right now, can I tell you right now that comparison is the birthplace of envy? And when you begin to compare yourself to somebody else, you will always come up short. And when comparison gives birth to envy, envy gives birth to covetousness. Now, I know y'all thinking, what did she just say to me? covetousness. It's an old biblical word. It's back in the Ten Commandments. Everybody say Big Ten. Big Ten. Covetousness is being so consumed with envy for what somebody else has that you are willing to scheme and steal and maim and even kill to get what they have. You're scheming. And when you begin down the path of comparison, it gives birth to envy, and envy gives birth to covetousness. And before you know it, your eyes are off who you're supposed to be and how God made you. And can I promise you something right now? God has made you on purpose for a purpose. And you can't be like anybody else. There will never, ever, ever be anybody else in this universe that's just like you. And God knew that. And he crafted you. And he needs you. And he wants you. But he can't use you if you're looking at Mary wondering why you don't have it like she has it. Why you don't look like her. Why you can't talk like him. Why you're not ripped like Furtick. Why you can't pray like that dude at the group. Why, why, why? We will get so lost looking at other people that we will forget what God has given us to do. And Jesus turns to Mary, I mean to Martha, and he says, Martha, Martha, now you know you're in trouble if he says your name twice. That's like parenting 101. But I love Jesus because he's not saying it like I would say it. Martha, Martha. 
I know him. He's saying, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. And you see, Martha's distractions were multifaceted. And Jesus knew that because remember, Jesus knows what's in your heart. And she was wrapped up in perfectionism. Oh man, this is me. I need everything to be just right. If everything, if everything could just be just right, I know that it's going to go the right way. If I could just have the, the lobby coffee, if it would just look like this. And if the smells would just be like this. And, and, and if this would be here and that would be there, and, and if this person would show up and do this thing, then this church would go off and it's going to be amazing and it would be perfect. Perfect. And, and we always get wrapped up in perfection and we can get so wrapped up in being perfect that we forget to just be. We get so wrapped up in being perfect that we forget to be present how many times have you gotten wrapped up in everything being just right for a dinner or a family event? Everything has to be perfect that you forget to be present and even enjoy the present that is the company of people around you. That's where, that's where Martha's at. Now, Jesus needed food and drink. She's like, oh, well, I have to get this food and drink for Jesus and the disciples. I have to, I have to get all this stuff. It has to be right. It has to be perfect. Did she forget? Here's a question for you. Do you forget that Jesus is the same Jesus that fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes and she's worried about cheese? Did she forget and do you forget that Jesus is the same one that raised Lazarus, her brother, from the dead? I think he's all right. I don't know that he needs olives right now, boo. Couldn't Jesus make it without a meal? Yeah. She was worried about what they would all think of Mary. She can't sit there like that. Doesn't she know her station? Doesn't she know who she is? She's supposed to be serving in the kitchen like a good woman should. Get in the kitchen. Mary's like, nah, I'm good. Get in the kitchen. You're going to make us look bad. How many times do you get worried about how you're going to look instead of doing what God said you're supposed to do? How's that going to make me look? Can I tell you what? I will be a fool ten times over. I will look like a complete idiot if I have to. And y'all know I have had to look like an idiot. If you don't know, you should have come here Christmas Eve. Okay? I will do it. Because I don't care about my station. And Mary and Martha, Martha got it wrong. Martha was jacked up. What she was doing wasn't wrong. But there was a heart. Her heart wasn't in the right spot. At 42, Jesus comes back at, at Martha. He says, you are worried and upset about many things. And then he comes at her and says, but few things are needed. Few things are needed or indeed only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. 
Can I ask you a question? Is there something better than serving? Is there something better than doing? Yes. Yes. Being. Being is underrated. Being takes bravery and boundaries. Being means setting aside your station. Being means not caring what other people think about you. Being means taking on self-control and self-discipline to sit down and be with Jesus. Being takes bravery. Shauna Nyquist in her book, Present Over Perfect, writes this, and it's so powerful. She says, sometimes being brave is being quiet. Being brave is getting off the drug of performance. For me, being brave is trusting that what my God is asking of me, what my family and community is asking of me, is totally different than what our culture says I should do. Sometimes, brave looks boring, and that's absolutely okay. Being is a brave move, because being means you have to confront yourself. I dare you to sit alone and quiet for five minutes. I dare you. Listen to what God is saying to you. Being with Jesus is so important. Martha got distracted by the good and gave up better. He said, one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the better thing, and it won't be taken away from her. What did Mary choose? The wisdom of Jesus Christ, which is life everlasting. It's the salvation of the cross and the resurrection that was to come. It was life eternal. What Mary has will never be taken away from her because you know what? She still has it. She's still with Jesus. She's still at his feet because she sat. And didn't do what was expected of her. Listen. When a college athlete is recruited to be a redshirt for a team, it means that this freshman athlete will have to wait to officially get to be part of the team and suiting up for games and travel. So the redshirt athlete actually has to go to practice with the team and be trained by the coaches, but otherwise they have to wait to really participate. You are sitting on the sidelines. You're going to watch what they do. You're going to train. You're going to get coached on how to do it. But then you're going to sit down. And you're going to watch what everybody else is doing. Everybody else is doing. Because the invitation to be a red shirt is an invitation to wait, a lot of student athletes might not be so enthusiastic about it initially. However, there are several advantages to red shirting, like getting familiar with the team playbook, right? or like getting stronger in the weight room. Having that extra year to develop in order to be effective in the long run can be pretty smart. In fact, the Pittsburgh Steelers running back, Le'Veon Bell, and the Seattle Seahawks quarterback, Russell Wilson, were both redshirted in college. And these men are two of the most dynamic players in the NFL today, right? But they had to wait their turn in college before they rose to stardom. In a way, being with Jesus is being redshirted. 
And there are some of you who are being redshirted right now. And you're sitting. And you're waiting. And you're being. Can I tell you that that's just okay? You be. Lean into it. God's called you to it. You got to train and you got to wait. But don't worry. Your time is coming. Sometimes we have to just be with Jesus before we can do for Jesus. Sometimes we have to learn the value of being red shirts and being on the sidelines so we can live a better way moving forward. Here's a couple of things I want you to remember today. If you're a note shaker, take this down. Being is greater than doing. Being with Jesus is far, far greater than doing for Jesus. Because if you haven't been with Jesus, when you start doing for Jesus, you're going to get it all wrong. And it's going to be a mess for everybody. I don't know how many times pastors totally tear down their entire churches because of infidelity or some other thing because they stopped being with Jesus and were too consumed with doing for Jesus. Not today, Satan. I'm going to be with Jesus. So here's, here's how you can be with Jesus better. First of all, sit with Jesus. Sit with Jesus. Schedule it. Put it in your calendar. Take your stupid devices. Turn them off. Put them in a different room. Shut the door. Take off the watch. And sit with Jesus. Just be with Jesus. Don't rush through it. Wait, listen, be comfortable with silence. Journal it. When you're with Jesus, be ready. When I go to a meeting with somebody who's important, when I meet with my pastor, Pastor Kenneth, when I go into a meeting with, with Pastor Mike Hilson or any of my other leadership, the leadership of our church, or even when I go to a meeting with somebody on our team, do you know what I always do? I take a pad of paper and a pen because what they have to say is important and I want to be ready to write it down. God should be no different. He's about to say something to you that's powerful. Be ready. Write it down. What did Alfie say earlier? I bet y'all don't know. This is like a trick quiz. It's like pop quiz. Ha ha. Faith is believing in what you can't see yet. When you take that journal and that pen into your quiet time, you're saying to God, I have faith that you're going to say something to me. I believe that you are powerful and you're going to speak to me and I'm ready. You're telling God, I'm ready. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. Listen, you cannot be successful doing for Jesus if you get distracted from being with him. Be with him. Have I said this before? Yes. Am I going to say it again? You know it. There is nothing I can say to you right now that is going to be more powerful than what he can say to you in your quiet time. Number two, don't say yes to doing until you've said it before God in being with him. Ladies, don't say yes to one more thing until you ask God about it. Or you're going to be in a Martha situation wishing you were Mary. 
Don't say yes, ladies. Gentlemen, stop saying yes to things. No, you can't be the coach of the basketball team and the volleyball team and the soccer team and do your job and come home and be the dad and do all the things. It is okay. N-O are two powerful words, and it doesn't mean you hate people or that you're a terrible person. It means that you have boundaries, and you know that being is more important than doing. No is not a bad word. Maybe is not a bad word. I'll let you know should be your new catchphrase. Somebody asks me to do something anymore, I'll say, I'll have to let you know. I'm not telling you yes. I'm not telling you no. I'm going to say I'll let you know. Because I need to check myself before I riggedy wreck myself. Okay? Yeah, I know that song. Okay? I've lived. All right. If you are rushed for a decision, the opportunity is not for you. When we ask somebody to onboard on our staff team, I give them one month. I present them with the opportunity, I make the formal offer, and then I say, I would like to hear back from you in a month. Why? Because I want them to live with it. I want them to take it before the Father, be with the Father, and then make the decision. Be relentless in not overcommitting. The last thing is doing together is greater than doing alone. I'm so... So excited to announce that Hope Groups have launched. You can find a group today, and you don't have to do alone anymore. As a matter of fact, you can be with some amazing people who want to love you and cheer for you and champion what God is calling in your life. We have amazing book studies like Jenny Allen's Get Out of Your Head. We have an amazing Bible study for women on Saturday mornings. We have a men's group that did meet yesterday. Whoop, whoop. And they had breakfast at the Pizza Kang. So <laughs> you can tell who they are. <laughs> Find your group. Meet regularly. Before you do anything, ask for wise counsel and sit with others and listen to what they have to say. If you got a I don't know if I should do this thing, take it to your group. Take it to your people. Say, I've been given this opportunity, or I have this idea, or I feel like I should do this. And let them speak into your life. God built us to be together. Let me ask you a question. What if the first step to living a better way is taking a seat? What if the first step is taking a seat, listening, learning, and leaning into being with Jesus instead of being consumed with doing powerful. Because don't worry, there's plenty of doing, but you can't do it without being. What if the better way is together? I mean, after all, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, but she wasn't sitting there alone. She was sitting there with a group of disciples. It was Jesus's small group. And Martha was fussing in the kitchen. And she was missing all the good combo. Don't miss the good combo. Listen, there's nothing wrong with Martha and the desire to do. That's God-given. It's in you and it's good. But you have to be careful with what you're doing in your heart. There's nothing wrong 
with Mary's inactivity because there was something right in Mary's heart. Mary was sitting and it was right because her heart was right. Her heart was on Jesus. I don't know if you came in this door and you have never had a relationship with Jesus before and you're like, this lady is crazy. It's okay. I'm telling you that Jesus is one of the best things that ever happened in my life. His relationship and my relationship and me being with him has saved me on so many levels. I would love to tell you the story. We can come get coffee. I'll tell you all about it. I can tell you the impact it's made in my life. And I want to give you the opportunity this morning to say yes to Jesus. If, if what I'm saying to you is, is meaningful and you're like, man, I really want to be with Jesus, you have an opportunity to do that right now. I'm going to pray with you and give you that opportunity to say yes for the first time. And I want to ask you to do something. After we've prayed, if you pray this prayer with me, if, if you say yes to Jesus today, uh, would you take a moment and just let us know? You can, you can either snap a QR code that's going to be on screen or you can... You can text, that's me, to 94,000 either way. And we're just going to give you a quick text back and say, man, we're so glad that you said yes. So let's pray together. If you would, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you want to say yes to Jesus this morning, would you pray in your heart just something like this? Jesus, I want to know you. I want to come away with you. I want a better way. I want to be with you. I want to experience you. I say yes today. I say yes to you today, Jesus. I say yes to you today, Jesus. If you prayed that prayer this morning, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the first time, would you also just do me the honor of, of putting one hand in the air so that I can know? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Maybe you're here this morning and you want to say, I'm going to re-up my commitment to God. If you have had said yes to Jesus in the past, but you maybe have let your commitment to him lax and you haven't been with him like you're supposed to. And you want to recommit your life to being with Jesus. If that's you, I want to pray with you right now. Jesus, I, I sometimes get distracted and I don't want to let the distractions get between you and I anymore. God, I, I want to say that I'm back. I'm back to being in relationship with you. I'm back to being with you. Help me, God. I'm saying I'm back to you. Would you acknowledge by your Holy Spirit that you hear me? Thank you for that. If that's you this morning, I would love to know. Would you just raise your hand? You said, I'm back. I'm back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to hear you say you're back. Welcome back. Welcome back. So back to the question that I asked you at the beginning. Maybe the better question is, what would Jesus do if he were me? Maybe that's what you need to be asking yourself. So we'll never know if we don't sit with him and learn from him before we try to do for him. I want to remind you this morning that groups have launched. If you haven't found your group yet, you have the opportunity to do so. You can sign up for groups online. It's pretty easy to do. Um, you just go to hopedelmarva.com. You select next steps and then you select groups and you'll see several groups listed down there for you. 
select it, sign up, and you'll get an email from your group leader letting you know when to expect your next group meetup, please do this. There is nothing greater that you can do than to be with other Christian people. We hope you found today's message both helpful and inspiring. Hope Church meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. in Seaford, Delaware at the Seaford Senior High School Auditorium. If you would like more information, you can find it at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's hope, B-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening.